welcome to Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. I'm your host, Kim Smith. This is episode 260. How aware are you of holy spaces? I have spent a good chunk of today, as well as some time over the last few days, just trying with my very limited perspective to understand the holiness of God. We hear the words holy and holiness tossed around in faith circles, but do we really understand what holiness is? You know, the love of God, we feel like we could wrap our minds around that because we love, even though our love pales in comparison to that of God, But we at least have a concept to be an all-knowing God. We can't imagine what it's like to be all-knowing, but we do know what it's like to know. But holiness is an attribute of God that we don't have really enough words in the English language to possibly wrap our mind around what the holiness of God truly means. Uh, I pulled up some information from a lot of godly Christian authors. Let me toss some of them at you. Tim Keller, who went to be with Jesus a few months ago, said, Holiness gives us new desires and brings old desires into line with one another. Billy Graham, only when we understand the holiness of God will we understand the depth of our sin. We're going to see an instance of that here in a few minutes. Oswald Chambers, who wrote My Utmost for His Highest, said, Holiness, not happiness, is the chief end of man. Boy, we do not live in a society that believes that is so, do we? Jerry Bridges uh, I've got a couple of quotes from him, but they're just so good. First one, many Christians have what we might call a cultural holiness. They adapt to the character and behavior patterns of Christians around them. But God has not called us to be like those around us. He has called us to be like himself. Holiness is nothing less than conformity to the character of God. And another Bridges quote, As we grow in holiness, we grow in hatred of sin. And God, being infinitely holy, has an infinite hatred of sin. C.S. Lewis, the holier a man becomes, the more he mourns over the unholiness which remains in him. Absolutely. In 1 Peter 1, 15-17, the Apostle Peter said, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the Scriptures say, You must be holy because I am holy. 1 Samuel 2, 2, No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And coming up in the next few weeks for my Sunday school class, We will be going over, to me, probably the most important passage of Scripture regarding holiness. Now, on this podcast, it's 
going to be a while before we ever get there uh, because it's in Isaiah 6. But I want to share it with you in order to set the stage for the discussion we're going to have today about King Solomon and how King Solomon understood at least in some form what the holiness of God was and how he should act in response. But we have to get our mind in this space of God's holiness. I was listening to, I listened to a whole lot of stuff earlier today about the holiness of God, but one of the speakers talked about just how flippantly we often go to God or we speak to God forgetting that He is holy. If we understand nothing, the word holy should bring about reverence and respect from us. Even if we don't understand the concept of holiness in all its facets, we, as human beings, most of us know that holy has to be something that is very different. And if you really get down to the, to the root word, you're talking about a separateness, a, a, a way in which God is separate from all of humanity in his being. He is so transcendent to anything we can imagine. And as a result, or as part of that, he is very separated from sin. He cannot, just as one of those quotes talked about, he absolutely hates sin. Not the sinner, but he hates sin. How much different would our lives be if we understood more day by day the holiness of God and the fact that we, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, have the Holy Spirit of the living God inside of you, how would that change our choices? I, the weekly assignment feature, I'm going to go ahead and give it to you just so you can be thinking about it. If you were a if you were to be able to take a spiritual scan of your life, you know, we have these, you have MRIs, we have all these different scans that we can take physically of our body, and it will point out areas where something is just not right. If you were to be able to take a spiritual scan of your life, identify all areas that would not match the holy standard of God. Oh my how many came to mind immediately that would not pass the holy test? So Isaiah 6, 1 through 6. So I put all those quotes down below in the show notes, as well as the link to Isaiah 6, 1 through 6. Let's see if I can grab it on my computer screen. I'm not going to try to set this in context, except to say that Isaiah was a prophet. He was a prophet of God. During ups and downs uh, in the divided kingdom of Judah, uh, for my Sunday school class, I'm going to spend a whole lot of time in a couple of days setting the historical stage. But 
really that's all we need to know in this. He is a prophet of God. And it says, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, one of the commentaries I just read thinks that this is the earthly temple of God, that he was truly in the temple, Solomon's temple as we call it. Another commentator thought that this was seeing a spiritual vision and a spiritual temple. Like, I don't know exactly. But it's obvious that this, if this were the physical temple, then his holy imagination was transported to more of a spiritual realm. And you'll see what I mean in here. Attending him were mighty seraphim. So this is the only time in scripture the seraphim it's seraph, um, is mentioned. They're kind of the fiery agents, um, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to him with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. We're going to read a little further. Seven, he touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. And it goes on to the very, very famous uh, verse. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. And so he gives uh, Isaiah instructions as to what to say to the people. But can you just imagine being in Isaiah's shoes there, where he sees the Lord? That in itself, that, that, that right there is enough to just leave you with your mouth dropped, I truly believe my heart would not be able to handle it. God would have to hold my heart in order for me to possibly be able to survive truly seeing the Lord in His holiness. Oh, my goodness. And when we see God for who He truly is, the holy, magnificent King of kings, Lord of lords. And then we see ourselves in comparison. Wow. I do believe that we would all, as Isaiah says, he immediately confesses his sin and the sin of those around him. Even though he uses unclean lips or filthy lips, 
He's not just talking about that being the sin. Like, he knows that I have no business being in this place because of the sin in my life. And then we see the seraphim touch him with the coal. And his sin is removed. I don't expect we're going to see a seraphim anytime soon. But you and I have the advantage as I was in my devotional this morning. I've been making my way slowly again through the book of Luke. And Jesus had sent out these 70 or 72 disciples. It's a question as to which, which it is. And they came back and they were so excited that the demons like listened to them. Like they, they had power over the demonic and he's telling them, you know... <laughs> I get it, but that's not what you should be celebrating. You should be celebrating that your names are written in heaven. And he goes on to talk about just the fact that they had been so privileged to experience and learn so much more than the prophets and the kings of old. And for them to realize that and and I thought about it myself, and I just thanked God for living in this time of the new covenant. And you and I have the Holy Spirit of the living God inside of us. And we, we have received the benefit of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We're not looking forward to that. We are living with that in our rear view, knowing that we can walk forward, knowing that we are not going to be 100% holy in our daily life, but understanding that the blood of Jesus Christ is why we are able to approach the throne of God, not in our own righteousness, but because of His righteousness. And so I wanted to set the stage because we've been walking our way through the story of Solomon. And we've been spending the last few weeks talking a lot about Solomon and the temple and how the temple has finally been finished and it's been dedicated. And then we have we have more of... Um, we have a story about Solomon's accomplishments. You can see it in 1 Kings 9, 10 through 28, or 2 Chronicles 8, 1 through 18. As I read over it multiple times, I'm going to fly through parts of it because I'm not really, really wanting today to clap my hands for all that Solomon accomplished from an earthly standpoint. But there was one particular verse, and that was 2 Chronicles 8, 11, that just just struck me. It struck me hard. It struck me because it's truly as if Solomon is admitting, I know what is holy, and I compromised. And this is, you know, fairly early in his reign. I mean, the temple and his palace it took quite a few years 
to build and he's 20 years in here but this is before the massive amount of wives and all the destruction that was caused by that so let's just jump into this let's do 8 1 through 18 when we get to 11 I'm going to mention it and then at the end of 18 then we're going to come back and I'm going to read from 1st Kings 3 1 to just remind us of some of the setting of what had happened so here we go 8 it took Solomon 20 years to build the Lord's temple and his own royal palace at the end of that time Solomon turned his attention to rebuilding the towns that King Hiram had given him and he settled Israelites in them oh and by the way I did skip over a, a small section of scripture uh, that has to do with Hiram and has to do with well Hiram was not pleased with what Solomon gave him for a, a payment and uh, even though I was tempted to dive into that a little bit I just determined that that probably wasn't the direction we were to go so King Hiram's still a part of this whole process but not in great detail here we go three Solomon also fought against the town of Hamath Zobah and conquered it. He rebuilt Tadmor in the wilderness and built towns in the region of Hamath as supply centers. He fortified the towns of Upper Beth Horon, Lower Beth Horon, rebuilding their walls, installing barred gates. He also rebuilt Baloth and the other supply centers and constructed towns where his chariots and horses could be stationed. He built everything he desired in Jerusalem and Lebanon and throughout his entire realm. There were still some people living in the land who were not Israelites, including the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These were the descendants of the nations whom the people of Israel had not destroyed. So Solomon conscripted them for his labor force, and they served as forced laborers to this day. But Solomon did not conscript any of the Israelites for his forced labor. Instead, he assigned them to serve as fighting men, officers in his army, commanders of his chariots, and charioteers. King Solomon appointed 250 of them to supervise the people. Beep, 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 beep. Pay attention to verse 11. Here we go. Solomon moved his wife, Pharaoh's daughter, from the city of David to the new palace he had built for her. Check out this. He said, My wife must not live in King David's palace, for the ark of the Lord has been there, and it is holy ground. We'll come back to it. Verse 12, when, then Solomon presented burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar he had built for him in front of the entry room of the temple. He offered the sacrifices for the Sabbaths and the new moon festivals and the three annual festivals, Passover celebration, the festival of harvest, and the festival of shelters as Moses had commanded. And you remember those were abandoned for many, many, many years in the Israelite um, life. 14. In assigning the priests to their duties, Solomon followed the regulations of his father David. He also assigned Levites to lead the people in praise and to assist the priests in their daily duties. He assigned the gatekeepers to their gates by their divisions, following the commands of David, the man of God. Solomon did not deviate in any way from David's commands concerning the priests and the Levites in the treasuries. So Solomon made sure that all the work related to the building of the temple of the Lord was carried out from the day its foundation was laid to the day of its completion we give him credit for that later solomon went to ezion geber and eloth 
ports along the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. Hiram sent him ships commanded by his own officers, manned by experienced crews of sailors. These ships sailed to Ophir with Solomon's men and brought back to Solomon almost 17 tons of gold. I mean the amount of earthly wealth that Solomon accumulated is just astronomical. I, that's just a fact. Like, he had, he had so many advantages, and this was just such a time of external peace for the Israelites. He had every opportunity during this time to lead the people to serve God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. To be an example of that. But we had seen in 1 Kings 3.1. Here we go. This is at the very beginning of Solomon's reign. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. He brought her to live in the city of David until he could finish building his, temp his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. Okay. So, nothing said here about love. It's not that he couldn't love her, uh, but everywhere that I read, it seems that everybody's in agreement that this was one of those political arranged marriages. He's trying to have an alliance with the king of Egypt, and that's what gets him into serious, serious, serious trouble as he goes forward in his reign. But he has married outside of the Israelite nation, number one. First and foremost, we know that that was against the command of God. Number two, he has obviously married somebody who does not worship the Lord God of Israel. Okay? Do we see something wrong with this? By chance. And so we go back to verse 11. Solomon moved his wife, Pharaoh's daughter, from the city of David to the new palace he had built for her. He said, My wife must not live in King David's palace, for the ark of the Lord has been there, and it is holy ground. And let's do the ESV. So that was the NLT. Uh, ESV. Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter up from the city of David to the house he had built for her, for he said, My wife shall not live in the house of David, king of Israel. For the places to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. So what do you hear in this verse? I'm going to tell you what I hear, and hopefully, hopefully we agree on this. Number one, Solomon acknowledges the holiness of God. He may not understand it fully, as none of us will until we meet him face to face. But he understands that he's to respect God's holiness. There are boundaries when it comes to God's holiness. That you wouldn't take something that you know absolutely positively is unholy and put it in a place of holiness. Even though as we go through the next few months and or years in the divided kingdom, we're going to see the holy places of God invaded by hideous unholiness. 
but Solomon. Solomon, who obviously had been trained up and knew better, made this alliance with the king of Egypt and married his daughter. And I guess in my mind and in my heart, just as I was saying that, not only did he introduce the unholy being his wife who served idols into a holy space, a physical place that he considered holy because the ark of God had been there. But Solomon, who was God's king of Israel during that time, was also to be holy, just as we've seen in those verses that I quoted earlier. He was to be holy in everything that he did. I know these verses came about after Solomon, but Solomon had been taught by David. He knew. Think about 1 Samuel 2.2 was long before Solomon was ever born. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Solomon knew that God was holy. He was separate. He was above. And you were to keep all sin away from the holy places. And one of those holy places was Solomon's body his, himself. No, he didn't have the Holy Spirit of the living God inside of him. But he was to be holy and set apart. He had been set apart. We go back to the prayers that he prayed at the... At uh, All of a sudden, I lost the word. At the celebration of the temple being built and... Dedicate, dedicate, that's what I'm aiming for, the dedication of the temple to the Lord. And Solomon, I think there's zero doubt that Solomon would not have wanted his wife to have walked in that holy temple. And yet he had partnered his life with someone he knew was not holy. Boy, this became much more complicated after I started talking because I've been thinking about this for days and the compromise that Solomon had made to make this alliance. He had brought her into a place, a space that he considered holy. But he also brought her into his intimate space which also should have been holy to the Lord. Back to 1 Peter 1, 15-17, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Throughout the book of Leviticus, it talks about the holiness of God. Even those in the Old Testament era, understood that God, the Lord of heaven's armies, was holy. He was separate. He was above all that they could ask or imagine. And yet Solomon, instead of trusting God and leading him to the one wife, 
not hundreds and hundreds of them, but the one wife that God had created for him. He makes an alliance and brings a person who worships idols into holy spaces, including his own intimate space. So I go back to our weekly assignment feature. If you were to be able to take a spiritual scan of your life, identify all areas that would not match the holy standard of God. What relationships would not match the holy standard of God? What thoughts would not match the holy standard of God? What sites on your phone, internet browser, television, and any other technology would not match the holy standard of God? I just got in your business, I know. Because I care about you. And as I was just trying to wrap my heart and mind around this concept of the holiness of God, I just, I, I'm a bit speechless because. It's, it's beyond what I can wrap my mind around. But by the limited part of my understanding, I still get that God is calling you and I to be holy, to be set apart, Not to go off and make a life separate from the world. Not not that kind of separate. But separated from sin. Making daily choices based upon not how much can I get by with, but asking, "Does does this meet the holiness standard? Would I... Want God to shine a light on this area? Would he look at me and say, good and faithful servant? Or are you trying to live your life under the radar? Not wanting God to shine a light in certain areas because you know That that's that closet that when he opens the door, everything's going to fall out. I just want to, I want to pray for all of us. I want to pray some of these scriptures back to God. Please join me. God, as much as it truly scares me to try to understand 
your holiness. I know that's the only way that I will truly be all you created me to be. So as I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters who are listening to the sound of my voice, dear God, I I read back to you the words of Samuel. Because no one is holy like you, Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like you. And as your Apostle Peter said, we must be holy in everything we do just as you who chose us is holy. You, you said we must be holy because you are holy. As Isaiah, when he saw you, and was totally overwhelmed. Not only by who you truly are. In all of your majesty. But he saw himself. And was. Blown away by. Just. The sinfulness in his life and in the life of those around him. Dear God, I pray for your conviction on my life and on the life of each person within the sound of my voice. I pray that you would reveal to us any area of our life that does not meet the holy standard. Please, dear God, search us and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. Point out any way in us that offends you and lead us in the way to everlasting life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in. The one resource I didn't mention is a video by The Bible Project use a lot of the Bible Project stuff, especially for the books of the Bible, because it gives such a great synopsis. But this is on the holiness of God. You may be somebody who tuned into this podcast and you're like, I don't get this thing about relationship. I just, you know, I, I go to church, you know, once a year or so. And I try to be a good person. Isn't that enough? God's word says there is none righteous. No, not one. If you can see yourself in comparison to a holy God, all you can do is plead For God's mercy. May you see your sin. For what it is. Absolutely. Against the will of God. And throw yourself on his mercy. Knowing that Jesus came. Lived a holy and sinless life. 
died on a cross, paying the penalty for all your sin, my sin, and the sin of everyone, and offering us eternal life now and into eternity with a holy God. You and I can't even imagine what it will be like to be in a place that is holy. No sin. No pain. No suffering. No temptation. I'm about ready to sign up and go now. Thankfully, I'm already signed up. Just, it's not my time quite yet. I did, this is a little segue before we close, but on one of the stories that I was listening to about the holiness of God, pastor was talking about a friend of his who had been preaching a funeral, and he was talking to the people about the seriousness of a relationship with Jesus Christ and how important it was for them to make that decision because they never knew when it was going to be their time. And remember, he's, he's preaching at a funeral. And he sits down and he falls over and dies. That was the sermon illustration to end all sermon illustrations. It you know, life is fleeting. And we have a certain amount of minutes allocated by the Lord, and He doesn't tell us how many, to honor Him with our lives. May we spend time today in God's Word, humbly, Asking the Lord to search us and know our hearts. To test us and know our anxious thoughts. To point out any way in us that offends Him. And lead us in the way of everlasting life. You scroll to the bottom and get the QR code for all episodes of the podcast. Other resources down below. And please tune in for next week. We will still be when it comes to Solomon. It is looks like Queen of Sheba time, which is quite the most quite quite the interesting story in Scripture, no doubt about it. What lessons can we learn from that visit? Well, we'll see. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sharing this with others. And just remember, it's always a trust and obey kind of day. Mm -hmm.